Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times, and this week, of course, we'll be talking about the U.S. election and its outcome. I should make clear when we're actually talking, which is on Wednesday morning, just after the vote. But the vote, of course, and its outcome were immediately disputed. This was President Trump speaking at the White House. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. For their part, the Democrats were saying that every vote should be counted. Here's their candidate, Joe Biden. I'm here to tell you tonight, we believe we're on track to win this election. We knew because of the unprecedented early vote and the mail-in vote, that it was going to take a while. We're going to have to be patient until we, uh, the hard work of tallying the votes is finished. And it ain't over till every vote is counted, every ballot is counted. So it looks like it could be a rough few weeks ahead with some of this fought out in the courts. To discuss it with me, I'm very happy to be joined here in the studio in London by Jeremy Shapiro, a former State Department official who's now based in London at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Jeremy, we'll get in a moment to how this plays out, but that moment where Trump did what I suppose we expected him to do still felt kind of shocking to have a US president essentially try to stop the vote. I mean, as an American, a former diplomat, how, how do you assimilate that? Yeah, it was painful. It was it was a sort of classic Trumpian moment in the sense that we he had telegraphed it. He had told us that he was going to do this. Uh, it was entirely expected. Everybody believed that under almost any circumstances, if he was losing or lost, he would come out and declare that the election was fraudulent. After all, he declared that it was fraudulent in 2016 when he won. Um, and yet it was still shocking that he did it from a Democratic standpoint, because at the end of the day, what he's saying, and I think it's 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 very simple, but it's worth focusing on, is we shouldn't count all the votes uh, because I've, I'm ahead and I want to stay ahead. Do you think he'll get away with it? I think that he might. There are already a lot of legal challenges being mounted in, particularly in Pennsylvania, um, and he's going to be making the case that there are irregularities in the counts. I'm not exactly sure what case he'll make, but there are always irregularities in counts. It's a, it's a messy process to count millions of, of ballots on a single day. Um, and uh, if he finds a sympathetic judge and sort of puts the thing into legal limbo, he might be able to, to work some magic on this. I'm really not sure. I think the courts have not been sympathetic to this kind of thing, generally speaking, this cycle but he just has to do a little bit of forum shopping and find the right court. And do you think the Republican Party leadership will follow him? I mean, they have over the last four years. But I was quite struck that Mike Pence, who followed him onto the stage, the vice president, did not echo this language about fraud. 
You've got some senior Republicans, a few people like Chris Christie and so on, saying, no, no, he's wrong to do this. Is there any chance that enough voices will say, no, hang on, this is a democracy, whatever we think, the votes need to be counted? I wouldn't count on that. If Biden was very far ahead, I think we could see that kind of thing. We've seen it, obviously, already with Chris Christie. But, you know, the key figure in this is basically Mitch McConnell. Who is the Republican head in the Senate. Who's the Republican Senate majority leader. If he's willing to come out, and he did a couple of times earlier in the fall and say things like, you know, we shouldn't postpone the election. There will be a peaceful transfer of power. He said those things in direct contradiction to the president. So there is a limit to how far even he will go. But I have to believe that if we're teetering on the edge of a victory for Trump, that the Republican office holders are not going to be standing in his way. Now, uh, you know, as I say, health warning, we're talking on Wednesday morning, the count is still going on despite President Trump's best efforts. We could be in scenarios where Biden literally wins by one electoral college vote. Sketch that out for me. Yeah, that's a very likely scenario at this point. If Biden wins Michigan and Wisconsin and Arizona, all of which look very possible and does not win any of the other states that are still open, Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, then he will have won a single vote, 270 to 268 electoral college victory. And that will hinge, interestingly, on the fact that he won the one electoral college vote in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska and Maine are the only two states that divide up their electoral votes. They give one electoral vote per congressional district and then two for the rest of the state. And uh, Biden won one electoral vote out of the five in Nebraska, which is the district around Omaha. And uh, that could be very easily the difference in the election. Extraordinary, isn't it? And it also highlights the crazy quirkiness of the American system. I mean, part of the problem, isn't it? I mean, the Democrats will obviously celebrate if this particular quirk is the one that puts them over the top. But the whole system is ridden with them, and indeed the Electoral College itself. Do you think there's any chance that there will be a movement to try and rationalise the system, get rid of the Electoral College or move to a popular vote or at least standardise practice on voting across state to state? There's already a movement to do those things, but that movement hasn't gotten very far. And the fundamental reason that it hasn't gotten any far will persist and actually be reinforced by this election, which is that one side benefits dramatically from the weirdness in the American uh, electoral system. You know, we're not we're not focusing on it naturally today, but it's very clear that Biden is going to win the popular vote by quite a bit. The last time I looked, he was already over a million and a half votes ahead, and that will definitely widen rather dramatically. He will probably win the popular vote by a greater margin than than Hillary Clinton did, probably in the neighborhood of three to five million votes. So a really quite large popular vote uh, victory, uh, even if he loses the Electoral College. That is a built-in advantage for the Republicans that they're going to continue to need <laughs> based on the way that they have failed to expand their coalition and the, and the sort of geographically rural-based strategy that they have taken in American politics. Mm. Now, you know, I get the impression that a lot of Democrats, even though they are now hopeful that maybe Biden can eke it out by one vote or maybe more if he wins Georgia and Michigan and Wisconsin, they feel a bit flat this morning because they were hoping for a big repudiation of Trump. Once again, the polls have misled them. And whatever else we know, Trumpism is alive and well in the United States. 
Yeah, absolutely. What we already know is that there was no blue wave. They seem pretty unlikely to take the Senate as of this moment. And they're probably going to lose a couple of seats in the House, not many. And um, there has been no repudiation of Trump in the middle of a coronavirus, in the middle of all of his multitude of other sins against decorum and policy and everything else. He's at least come very close to winning a second term and maybe even will. And I would I think that that means that even if Biden does eke out a victory, the specter of Trumpism and the fact of a very evenly divided population, a very evenly divided country, a very polarized country, means that it will be quite difficult for Biden to govern. It will be quite difficult for him to make any radical changes. And it will be quite difficult when looking at foreign affairs for him to be able to make the types of commitments to allies and even to enemies that would be necessary to have a sort of the type of coherent, consistent foreign policy that the United States largely had in the Cold War and post-Cold War periods, because everybody will be looking over Biden's shoulder and seeing Trump or the reincarnation of Trump showing up again in two or four years. Yeah, well, we'll elaborate on that thought in a minute. But just quickly, I mean, on the Democrats, again, we don't have the full results yet. It's too early in a way to do a post-mortem. But as they look at this, do you think that their own divisions will be widened, that there's now going to be an argument within the Democratic Party over whether they got their strategy wrong and this centrist tendency, which I guess Biden represents, versus the more left-wing progressive wing led by Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that 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 argument's going to become more bitter? Yeah, look, it's uh, first of all, it's never too early for a post-mortem. Um, and secondly, it's uh, always a good prediction that the Democrats will fight with each other. So I feel very confident in that. I think the nature of this fight will be very interesting. It may be progressive versus moderate, as you say, but I think that there's also a sort of uh, a political strategy in what Biden did, which wasn't inherently moderate, let's say, which is that he decided that he was going to win back those lower middle class white voters that Clinton lost in the upper Midwest and that he was going to try to take back basically Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and that he wasn't going to, let's say, double down on the type of minority coalition that a lot of the more progressive people would like, where you're focused very much on identity issues and you think very hard about assembling the various identity blocks within the Democratic coalition and pumping up turnout in the growing segments of the Hispanic and black population. And you can, I think, already see some of the results. Uh, Biden was somewhat successful at winning back some of the lower middle class whites from Trump. And maybe that will tell And if he takes Michigan and Wisconsin and even Pennsylvania, and that will uh, sufficiently validate the strategy. But he also clearly didn't capture as many of the Hispanics and blacks and other minorities, or at least motivate them to turn out as many Democrats were hoping. And so that alternative strategy is still out there. And I think there'll be a lot of fighting about it in the four years. I have to say, particularly if he loses, even a narrow victory, I think, will, will to a degree validate his political strategy. Yeah. So you talked about how the rest of the world, even if Biden somehow gets to the other side, is president will have this huge question mark in their head about the nature of America. But I already have a question mark 
you know, about the next three months because Trump is going to fight every way he can. Uh, he's not going to give up, I don't think. And so it's hard to imagine how the United States will be governed over the next three months at a time when it's, you know, we have a pandemic and we also could have, uh, you know, an international affairs crisis in the South China Sea over Taiwan, whatever. I mean, if I was an American adversary, I would think now is the time where America is going to be paralyzed. It's interesting. I, I have to say that my pessimism about the, the lame duck period is tempered by my cynicism about what we've just gone through. I don't think that the federal government, that the Trump administration has really been governing the United States when it comes to the coronavirus in the last several months. I don't think they've been ready or even interested in responding to international crises for the last couple of years. I mean, they've done a little bit on Nagorno-Karabakh, but have barely betrayed any interest. I don't imagine most Americans know that that war is even going on. They haven't been involved in the Belarus dispute. All of their international activity in the last year, really, has been focused on the Israeli-Arab tract, which is really a, a domestic politics move more than anything else. And when the international crisis of the coronavirus arose, the United States basically did nothing. So I think you're right that that's what would happen in the next three months. I just think that that's what's been happening for at least the last year or two. Yeah. Now, you uh, worked in the Obama administration, as I said, and so you know the people around Biden, particularly in the foreign policy sphere, very well. Uh, I think you were deputy to Jake Sullivan, who some people say might be uh, Biden's national security advisor. So let's say these people do make it. They're in the White House come January the 20th. They're looking at this sort of domestic wreckage at a pandemic at the world, you know, America's position severely eroded. What will their priorities be? How will they try to start to make sense of the situation they're in? Yeah, well, like every American president in my lifetime, I think they will enter office and say, we have a lot of domestic stuff going on. As a matter of fact, we're in a sort of key domestic moment. And actually, like every American president, they'll be right. I suppose they'll be even more right than usual. And they'll focus entirely on the coronavirus and the related issues of getting the economy rebuilt and restarted. And that will be their laser-guided focus for at least the first six months to a year of the administration. I would predict, however, that that is going to be a very thankless task. I mean, an extremely thankless task. Uh, I, I'm not sure that the Biden administration has sufficiently considered the political advantages that Trump got from doing nothing on the coronavirus. He didn't have to get up like Boris Johnson has to in this country and say, you know, you can't leave your house. You have to wear a mask. I'm closing all the restaurants. Biden is going to start taking responsibility for doing those kinds of things. And that's not going to wear well with large segments of the population, even people who supported him. And so I think it's going to be extremely difficult to govern in those circumstances. And I think that particularly because the Biden team is so experienced and focused and interested in foreign policy, they might, like many U.S. presidents before them, look for ways in which they can sort of demonstrate their strength and their resilience and their leadership by going abroad and solving problems that actually the American people aren't super interested in, but still make good headlines and make you look good. Okay. Very last question. I'll end with one you can't really answer, but we'll try it. So we're sitting here uh, exhausted on Wednesday morning, looking with faint horror at 
what's unfolding. How long do you think this drama's going to play out, if you had to guess? Is it going to roll all the way into January and the Supreme Court, as Trump's already appealing for it, or is there a chance it gets settled earlier? Boy, it would be really stupid to answer that question, but I'll do it anyway, uh, because, you know, the fundamental answer is I have no idea. But, you know, I have an instinct, is I guess the best I can say. And to me, it looks like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin are probably going to be able to finish their count today or tomorrow, so Wednesday or Thursday, and Pennsylvania probably Friday or Saturday, and that enough votes will be in and counted by the weekend, by Friday or Saturday, to be able to declare a winner. The question is whether uh, the courts intervene in that process, either before then or after then, to dispute a specific state that makes a difference. You have to imagine that in the scenario we talked about before, where Biden wins by one electoral vote, which means that every state made the difference, um, that uh, they will find some state to challenge the results. And that can last for quite some time, of course. But, you know, the Electoral College will meet in December and the president has to be inaugurated on the 20th of January. That's a constitutional requirement. And intriguingly, if there is no result of the presidential election by January 20th, President Trump doesn't continue. Nancy Pelosi becomes the president, which is, I think, something that probably neither Trump nor Pence really wants. So I think it can't really go longer than the 2000 election went, which is essentially mid-December. Okay, well, that'll give us plenty to talk about over the next few weeks, and perhaps I'll call upon you again and try to get you to update us. But for now, thank you very much indeed, Jeremy, for watching all night and coming to tell us all about it this morning. That's it for now, and hope you'll listen to us in next week's edition of the Rachman Review, which, who knows, may well be about American politics, or maybe it'll be about something else. We'll make that decision later. But for now, goodbye, and do uh, pick up future editions in all the usual podcast apps. Thanks very much. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.